Psalm verse number 37, uh, chapter 37, verse number 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Today, our God's Word for Life Bible study, yeah, we're in Lesson 2.2 if you've been keeping up in your, in your booklet. Um, today, the uh, title of our lesson is Three Days in the Deep, and we're going to be looking at the life of Jonah, uh, or the book of Jonah, um, in just a few minutes. Uh, today, uh, just starting out in this one verse here, Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord. Verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord. And verse number five, commit thy ways unto the Lord. Amen. Trust, delight, commit. Say that with me. Trust, delight, commit. Trust, delight, commit. Amen. Trust, delight, commit. That's a pretty good strategy for getting, getting where God wants to take you. Trust in him, delight yourself in him, and commit your ways to the Lord. I remember it was around 2002, I was sitting in a class at Apostolic Bible Institute, and the teacher was Ann Thompson, uh, Abby's mom. Um, she was teaching on this exact scripture. I was not far removed from a junkyard in Arkansas at that time, and I just happened to notice that verse number 3 started with a T, verse number 4 started with a D, and verse number five started with a C. And that means not a lot to a lot of people, but to me that meant TDC. TDC means top dead center uh, in mechanical terms and working on engines. And what you, whenever you're timing a, your race car engine, you always start your number one cylinder on TDC. That's, you have to start at a baseline. Top dead center means the first cylinder is all the way to the top. That means everything can be set from that point there. There were some numbers ingrained in my brain at that time. One eight four three six five seven two. Does anybody know what that is? It's a firing order for a small block Chevrolet, but it's also a firing order for a big block Dodge, which is what I ran. One eight four three six five seven two. I'd have to bring my number one cylinder up on top dead center, and I I had to drop my distributor in to start timing my engine in. When you were just good with race car engines, you just had to be fast. And so you had to know this stuff in your head. You couldn't go look it up in a book. The one thing about a Chevrolet engine is there's a little gear on the bottom of the distributor, and there's eight different ways that you can misposition that distributor. You can get a little notch off, and it'll throw everything out of time. It means the engine won't run. Something's a little off. On a Dodge, though, it's not that way. The bottom of the distributor doesn't have a gear. It just has a big screwdriver slot. And when you dropped it in, you had one out of two chances to get it right, which was kind of nice if you were in a hurry. So you didn't even look sometimes. You just drop it in, wiggling, boom. Hopefully it ran. If it didn't start, you knew you're 180 degrees out. It was 180 degrees off. So you pull it out real fast, drop it back in, and you're 180 degrees in time, top dead center, you're ready to roll. And that was, uh, that was the way of life at that time. When Ann Thompson was teaching on this, I started to realize that at certain points in my life, I was 180 degrees away from God, though. And I thought 
I would drop drop what I thought, you know, something quick, something fast, and but sometimes it's not exactly what God wants in our lives. Sometimes we just get things out of time or we just are out of place. All of all we're not firing on all, all eight cylinders, so to speak. I think that when I look at the life of Jonah, uh, he was definitely 180 degrees out of time. And uh, today we're going to be looking at his life, um, or just a little portion of his life. Um, we have about 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes here. And, you know, it's interesting how short the book of Jonah is. It's four, four short chapters. I have gotten myself in a rut. Uh, teaching in DeForest on Tuesday nights where we study two or three chapters at a time. And so today I'm going to take you for a spin the way that we've been doing it over there. We'll start in verse number one. Uh, verse number one says, uh, chapter one of Jonah, okay? So everyone, if you got your Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to there if you haven't. So I'm going to start reading now. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it, and to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so immediately we see that Jonah has found his way in an opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Nineveh was a, a city in Assyria, which was exactly east of where he was. Instead of going east, he went west. He went as far west on land as he could possibly go. He went to the Mediterranean bank uh, city of Joppa. And Joppa, he jumped in a ship and he paid. He literally paid. He paid to get on this ship to run from God. He paid cold hard cash, money, out of his own pocket to get away from what God had wanted him to do. And so I, I, he was running from the next city. I have this pin on my lapel today. I was putting on my suit and I had this little pin in the pocket from uh, actually Brother Thompson, interestingly enough. Uh, he walked up to me at General Conference and he put this pin in my, in my hand I looked at it, and it was this thing that says, The Next Town. The Next Town is the theme for North American Missions, which he, he works for, obviously, uh, on a daily basis. But he just smiled the way that Brother Thompson does and uh, kind of walked away. But he wanted me to make sure I got one of the pins. And so I'm wearing it today because we're talking about The Next Town. Apparently, Jonah didn't want to wear the pin. Uh, he wasn't interested in The Next Town. He wasn't interested in going to Nineveh. Uh, he ran away from Nineveh, and here he's running so fast and so far that he literally has jumped himself into a ship, and he sailed away on his own dime. Verse number four says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like, uh, like to be broken, and the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth wares that were in in the ship into the sea. In other words, they took everything and they lightened the load of the, the ship. They just threw everything overboard, hoping that it would they wouldn't sink. But Jonah was gone down into the side of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, 
What meanest this, or what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call thy God, if so be uh, that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know who's whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast the lots, which was kind of a way of like picking straws, so to speak. Whoever had the shortest straw must be the guy who's doing all this bad stuff, which isn't a great strategy to figure out what God is doing, but apparently God honored it. And verse number eight says, Then then said, said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us, and what is thy, what is thine occupation, and, and whence comest thou? What is thy... What is thy country, and what, and what people art thou? They didn't even know anything about him. It's interesting that here he is in this ship. This is a preacher. This is a messenger of God. This is a prophet of God, but they have not even figured it out. He hasn't lived his life in such a way that it was apparent that he was a representation or representative of God himself. Isn't it a sad, a sad uh, situation that they didn't know that the preacher was so nearby? They didn't even know. He didn't even, he didn't even live his life in such a way. He's just down there sleeping while everyone else is dying. Verse number nine says, "And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear, uh, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land." And and then uh, were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then said they unto him, What shall we do with thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, the sea wrought and was tempt, temptuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know uh, that for my sake the great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it, to land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was temptuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon, uh, upon us uh, innocent blood, for thou, uh, for thou, O Lord, hast done this as it pleases thee. And so they took uh, uh, they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. And now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. This is the first chapter of four of the book of Jonah. Um, some things I'd like to point out as we move along here. Um, is first of all, uh, as we go, there's. I'm gonna just going to tell you, I'm not a fan of Jonah. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read it to try to look at it from a different angle, to try to see Jonah's point of view. Um, I'm just not a fan. Uh, I can't relate to what he's doing there. I can't understand Jonah's mindset. I just don't get it. Uh, I just don't feel like Jonah very, very often. Uh, he's just the kind of guy that uh, just doesn't, it's not the same. We're not the same. Me and Jonah don't think the same. And so I, that's the best way I can explain it. 
And so I've stayed away from Jonah a lot of times in Scripture because Jonah's a tip, typically the hero. You know, he's the person that this whole book's about, is written about him. It's about Jonah being, being this awesome preacher who finally goes and saves the city. Uh, I just don't see it all that way. It doesn't really sound great when you read the storyline. I don't like everything that Jonah says and does. There was a one moment of redemption, but it just happened to be that it was in the belly of a well, <laughs> well where he finally said something that sounded good. Um, and so it's just to have some interesting, I don't know, I just he rubs me wrong. But let me say this, is that after a while of trying to stay away from Jonah and trying to relate to Jonah or try to figure out Jonah, I realized that the book isn't necessarily about Jonah. The book is about God. All of the books of the Bible are about God, and when we look at them, we learn more about God. And so what we can find here, and I will read some more of this story because we have enough time to finish it. But what we see in this is that God is sending his word to Jonah. He, sent, he speaks directly to Jonah and asks Jonah to do something for him. And we see the sending feature of God throughout the book of Jonah. We see that God sends Jonah, uh, sends a word to Jonah. In verses number 4 through 16, we see that, uh, God sends a great storm to interfere with Jonah uh, to try to get him to go back to do what he called him to do. And we go on to verse number 17 and chapter 2 into the verse number 10, and we see God sends a great fish to Jonah. So God is sending things. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that God sends his word again to Jonah. God is sending again. And Verse number 10, we see that God sends, in that chapter, we see that God sends his word to the great city. So Jonah finally finds his feet in the, inside the city of Nineveh. In, verse, in chapter 4, the last chapter, we see that God sends a message to Jonah now. God is the active role in the book of Jonah. I wish it would be called the, the book of the mercy of, of God. Because God is constantly sending a man or he's sending a storm or he's sending a fish or he's sending a message. He's constantly working. God is working toward trying to get in to Nineveh. What we see from Jonah is nearly the opposite. We see a downward spiral. We see in verse number three that Jonah went from where he was in Israel down to Joppa, which was a, a, a downward motion. He went down. And when he got to Joppa, he paid to get into a ship. And when he got into the ship, he went, he went down from, from the bank into the ship. Another downward step. We see down, in verse number 7 that uh, he's down in the bottom of the ship. He's gone from just being on the ship where everyone else is. But now he's down in the bottom of the ship asleep. We see that while he's speaking and talking, uh, trying to explain who he was, the sailors had literally no other choice in their own minds but to throw him off of the ship down into the water. Another step down. And then we see that when we start to read in these next few chapters or the next few verses, we see this downward spiral of Jonah's, Jonah's existence. And I'm going to start off reading that if you would like to turn, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the, out of the fish, fish's belly. 
So here we've got him down from the ship, down into the water, and now he's gone from the water down into the belly of a fish, another step down. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he hurt me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. And so in his mind, he's gone from just being in the belly of a whale or a fish. Now he's literally saying that I'm in hell, and I cried out. So he's gone from from being from just in the belly of a fish now to the feeling of going down into hell. Thou hast cast me into the deep, verse number three, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and the billows and thy waves passed over me, going further down into the water. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. How far can you go to be cast out of the sight of God? Obviously not, but he felt that way. Yet while I look again toward thine holy temple, this is some redemptive portions of this, of these, uh, this story. And the water can pass me about even to the soul, and the depths closed me round about, and the weeds were wrapped around my head. That's pretty graphic. I don't know about you, but whenever I go to the lake, I try to stay out of the weeds. Are, are you guys like me? You're like, you go swimming out in the water and you like get into the weeds and you're like, oh man, I don't like the feeling of the weeds even on my feet. I can't imagine them being all wrapped around my head. Uh, but this is the how far he's gone now. The weeds, they obviously grow from the bottom up. So he's gone down to where the weeds are at the bottom of the sea. Verse number six says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. And the earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me up my life from corruption. O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And I prayed and came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. And they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And at that moment, God had made the fish. He literally says he spoke to the fish. And and the Lord spake unto the fish. Verse number 10. And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So this is the first upward motion in Jonah. In Jonah's... uh, whole entire storyline is being vomited up. Uh, that's pretty rough right there. Uh, your, first, your first upward movement is to be vomited up by a fish. And so you got to understand this situation. Uh, Tars- well, Joppa, uh, Joppa is the same city that we find uh, Peter in in Acts chapter 12. Peter's in Joppa whenever the the blanket is being let down and he has this big dream and he ends up going to Cornelius's house. So Joppa Joppa is a is a is a is a sea city. It's a it's like San Diego or it's like a really nice place to be. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. It's like a it's a beautiful place. And Joppa is on the if you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea it's on the farthest eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea or the farthest western side of the land. He's at this city, and he gets in this boat, and they sail away from land toward, toward like, Spain and Rome. Tarsus is way over there where you would start to enter into the Atlantic Sea. 
from the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know where the storm came. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that the storm came in, started rocking the boat, messed them all up, and they wanted to row to land. I don't know how far away they were. If they thought that they could row to land, maybe they could see it. Maybe they could see uh, what is the little the big island out there. There's a bunch of islands, but the I can't think of the one. Uh, Pat, Patmos. Anyway, they got so far out, and then the the sea the storm came and started rocking the boat, and they threw him out. And then the fish came and they and got a hold of him, swallowed him. Now, what you need to understand is in the storyline, Nineveh was was on land. Like Nineveh wasn't like Joppa. Nineveh wasn't a, a coastal city. Nineveh wasn't even on the Mediterranean Sea at all. It wasn't on any sea at all. It was on a river. It was on the Tigris River. And so the Tigris River, from where, even if, from what we can understand, if, if, they, if the fish was still in the Mediterranean Sea and he spit him out up on land, it was still from that bank to Nineveh 400 miles. And so it's either one of two things happen. Either he walked the 400 miles to get from the bank of the Mediterranean Sea over to Nineveh, or some miraculous thing happened with the fish, which we're already talking about miracles, right? I mean, the fish, he's living inside of a fish under the sea. So either that fish went all the way through the Mediterranean Sea and around the coast of Spain and then down the entire east, uh, western African coast, around South Africa, back up, uh, you know, up all the way and then came up where you would come up through the Tigris River and then swam all the way up the Tigris River to get to where Nineveh is, which is quite a bit of distance to travel in three days. It's either that or it was just kind of magically, I shouldn't say magically, but supernaturally transported into the right place at the right time, which I'm not sure which happened. Um, we don't really know, but we know when we jump into chapter 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And so we don't know if he immediately rose right then and was like walking straight into the city, which would have been pretty convenient. We, or we don't know if he was spit out on land on the Mediterranean and had to walk the 400 miles across land to get to Nineveh where he was originally supposed to go. We don't know which. Let's say just for, just for fun's sake, because we can do this, that he was spit directly onto the bank of Nineveh, which would be pretty awesome. Because uh, he would have been wrapped still halfway in seaweed, smelt like a dead fish. And, uh, I mean, uh, that would be a, quite a sight to see. Now, if that was the case, it, the interesting thing about it is that Dagon was the god of Nineveh. Dagon was a very uh, interesting god. He was the basically the, the father of Baal. This was an ancient god uh, that they worshipped in Nineveh. But Dagon was a fish god. He was half fish and half man. So if you can imagine uh, all these people believing in a half-fish, half-man God, and then all of a sudden this giant fish just pops out of nowhere, out of the river, and spits a dude up on the sea, everyone is watching this, all right? So it's not like, it's not like a small thing, okay? So this guy's wrapped in seaweed. He smells like a fish. He, everyone's saying he got spit up on the bank, and the dude starts immediately preaching. Uh, so... 
All eyes are on him. And channel 7, channel 4, channel 13, all of the cameras are facing him. He's got the attention of the city maybe in a way that never, no one had ever had before. And you've got to understand, Nineveh is the city of Assyria. It was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was terrible. They were, they were evil. I'm, I'm talking about like evil on a whole other level. Uh, evil, like despicable. Like whenever they would raid a city or they would take over, they would do despicable things. I can't mention across the, platform, the podium here. Um, but we'll just say, just for understanding is whenever you would enter into the gates or the city walls, all of the enemy's bodies were hanging from the, from the, from the uh, walls. They were just all just dangling there to show this is not a place you want to try to tackle. This is Nineveh, big city. In fact, it was so large it took three days' journey to cross from one side of Nineveh to the other side of Nineveh. Nineveh is in current modern-day Iraq, okay, so if you want to know exactly where that is. In fact, the walls of Nineveh that were probably up at that time, it's kind of hard to tell, but they were up around 700 B.C. Those walls are just now starting to be knocked down by some of ISIS soldiers and stuff they're trying to take over in that area, and they've been, it's been a big deal. They've been knocking these walls down, but those same walls held the bodies of probably many Jews or people that just, just didn't you know, didn't uh, fit right with the the kingdom of the Assyrian kingdom or whatever. They were enemies of the kingdom, and somehow that they, they didn't. They went through the system, and they ended up hanging off of the walls. And so, it could very well be the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Let's just talk about all the different reasons why it could have been. We don't know exactly. We know at the end. The reason why he didn't want to go for sure was that he didn't want them to have any mercy on them. But some of the reasons would have been that he didn't want to end up hanging from that wall, maybe. You just go and you start rebuking this entire city. Maybe he was afraid to go to the city. It could very well be that he was racist and didn't. he hated them with such a passion that he didn't really care to see that God's mercy might possibly be given to them by hearing the word of the Lord. We don't know which version of this is, or it may be probably in the way a lot of things in life happen is it was probably a mixture of a lot of things. It was probably complicated. But either way, here it is. We find Jonah spit up onto the bank or somewhere nearby. He's either walked 400 miles or he's, he's either landed right on the bank. So Jonah arose in verse number three, and he went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days' journey, meaning it took three days to cross. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And so he's one day in walking into the city. And he cried and he said, yet for uh, yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth uh, and he put, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them unto the least of them. And the word came un, uh, unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and he covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let, a, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and by, 
and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. That's the end of chapter 3. Now what we've just found out here is that a prophet of God, understand that word, a prophet of God, just went into a city of the enemy and prophesied destruction upon that city. But it didn't come. Making that prophet of God a false prophet. God intervened and basically the things that Jonah said did not come true. You got to understand in the Old Testament that couldn't happen. It wasn't something that could happen. If you were a false prophet, um, it was basically sudden death. I mean, they, they killed false prophets. They stoned them. As soon as it now, I don't think the Assyrians seen it that same way. I think they were glad it didn't come true, obviously, the Ninevites. But Jonah was not happy about it. Verse number 1 says, But it displeased Jonah, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled. Before unto Tarsus, for I, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. So being a prophet, he knew the outcome. He, he already kind of knew what was going to happen. He knew how this was going to play out. He would go and he would preach and they would repent and God would be merciful. He knew the play. He knew what was going to happen, and that's why he ran. And so whatever the motivation that he had to run, to not do the will of the Lord, not to go to the next city, whatever it was that he, he understood that God was going to do a thing, he didn't want it to happen. He didn't want to be a part of it. This is, this is how it, go, it plays out. It says, verse number 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Speaking maybe to that moment where he realized now he's a false prophet and will always be known as the one who prophesied the fall of Nineveh, but it didn't come to pass. Or maybe he's just mad because he didn't get his way, because he didn't really want the Ninevites, who are known to be just brutally evil and nasty people. He didn't want them to come to repentance. We don't know. Verse number 5 uh, verse number four says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Question mark. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And so here it is. In order for Jonah to show up to the city, he had to show up on the west side. So he's traveled one mile in or one day in, and he's preached to the city, and they began to start repenting. And now he's found himself all the way from the west side, all the way to the east side. Now he's gone out the east gate, and he's set up on a mountain here, and he's looking over the city of Nineveh as they repent. He's angry. He's frustrated because at least God could honor the word of the prophet that Nineveh would fall. But he's, it's not what's happening. 
So Jonah went out, uh, went out of the city, verse number 5, and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth. And he sat under it in the, in the shadow till, till uh, he might see what would come up, become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, which is basically a vine, and it made, made it to come up over Jonah that it might be uh, a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And you got to understand, this is a very hot, dry area. This isn't this isn't Joppa. This isn't Mediterranean weather. This is now he's gone 400 miles in in, and now he's sitting on sitting in a very dry and hot and very desert style of of uh, weather. And he's just out there sitting, and that's not something that you can do in the desert. And so God raises up this vine, and it grows over the top of his head so that he could witness what God is doing. So he's sitting there, uh, basically the scripture says that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And so God's mercy is now being extended to Jonah to try to keep him from killing himself in that hot sun. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Verse number 7 says, But God prepared a worm uh, when the morning rose. The next day, and it smote, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass that the sun did arise, that God prepared a, ve- a vehement east wind, that the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, "It is better for me to die than to live." I don't know about you, but every time I start looking at Jonah, I think he's a little suicidal. Like less, she's like, throw me off the boat, you know. I don't care. Like, I, I, I'm. It's not really. I, I know it sounds funny, but it's not really funny. I mean, every time he's not getting what he wants, he's like, I'd rather die than not get what I want. That's pretty boneheaded, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. But that's pretty. I mean, you're just kind of boneheaded when you you're fighting basically the will of God. And you'd rather die than see what God wants to happen, happen. And so what we're seeing here is kind of a microcosm of life is that God is merciful even to the unmerciful. Jonah didn't really want to show mercy to the city and God is extending mercy to him. But that was just for a moment. Now it's time to go back home, Jonah. It's time to get up. It's a new morning. You've seen what I'm going to do. That's over. We're going to go on to the next part of this, and that means you need to rise up and go back home. And Jonah just sits there and says, I'd rather die. Verse number 9 says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I I uh, I do well to be angry even unto death. And here he is again with these suicidal thoughts. Verse number 10 says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd. In other words, you had, you had pity on the gourd. You were cared for the gourd. You cared for the vine. But you didn't really care about Nineveh or those people that were there that were going to die. It's kind of a misalignment of what I would call 180 degrees out of timing. He's just caring about things that aren't what God cares about. He's not firing on all eight cylinders, so to speak, Verse number 10, I'm going to read the last two verses here, and we're almost done. Uh, it says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for thou which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. 
And should not I spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons uh, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? I have no idea why God throws in the much cattle thing, but it sounds funny. But just in recapping here, let's look at what, what God was doing. God was sending, sending his word by the prophet, sending God is sending a great storm to Jonah to try to reorganize the circumstances that man is trying to mess up. He sends a storm. God is sending a great fish to Jonah to try to reposition Jonah back into his will, to try to put him in a position to do what he's already asked him to do. God sends his word to Jonah the second time. That's, that's, That's mercy. When we run from God as far and hard as we can, and then God still wants to come back to us and speak to us, and he tells us God recommissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh. Amen. God sends his word to the great city by the mouth of a prophet. And God sends a message to Jonah after all of this. After the city was saved, there was still a story. God sends a message to Jonah at the end that, Aren't all of these people valuable? Amen. Aren't all these people valuable? But we look at Jonah's life. He went down to Joppa. He went down into a ship. He went down into the bottom of the ship and he fell asleep. He went down from the ship to the sea. He went from the ship, or he went from the sea into the belly of a well. He went from the belly of a well to the bottom of the mountains. All the way down as far as you could go, literally saying in, in his own terms, all the way down into hell. He was at the lowest point that God brought him back up to preach. Let's all stand. (laughs) I don't like Jonah. Sorry. He's he's the kind of guy that would just irritate me. I just know. He irritated God, too, obviously. But he had a gift that God had given him, right? He was a prophet. People listened to him. He had a gift. He had a calling on his life. It's really hard for me to understand this. I feel like sometimes it should just be black and white, on or off. You know, you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. The truth of the matter is God will work in any capacity he is allowed to work. I hate to even say it that way, but it's true. He will take a scumbag on a bar stool somewhere who's half drunk, and at the right moment, if that guy wants to tell somebody else about Jesus, it'll happen. And is it effective? Sometimes. Sometimes it is. So the, what we find is, is that God will use whatever capacity that he's allowed to use. And sometimes he creates capacity in us that we aren't even willingly wanting him to use. I think God is a gentleman, but I think it's more gentleman-like to save a city than it is to please an angry prophet. So sometimes he'll do what he wants to do, even if we are against it. And sometimes he'll use us to do what we don't want to do so he gets what he wants. It's a lot better (laughs) to just do it right the first time. 
So if we learn something from Jonah, we should learn that let's not be like that. Let's just, let's just honor God when he speaks. And when he tells us to do it, let's not find ourselves in the belly of a whale at the bottom of, a, of the sea. But let's find ourselves doing what God wants to do the first time. But when we also look at Jonah, we can also see what God is constantly trying to do. He's trying to win the next city. He's trying to win the lost. He's trying, trying, trying. We know that God, we know Jesus is God manifest in flesh, the same spirit that created all of these things, same spirit that was speaking to the prophets, especially to Jonah, is the same spirit that we know is Christ in Christ. It was the spirit of Jesus Christ that's constantly sending. And in that same way, he sends us into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. That he that believeth shall be baptized. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. There's awesome signs that followed Jonah. There's just a whole entire city that would not probably respond to any other way. They responded when God said go. How often are the times that we know that God wants to do something? It may be even it's in downtown Madison, liberal, crazy Madison. And here we are. God wants us to go down there and win the lost. Amen. Let's just pray, Lord Jesus, we ask you, God, that you will take the life of Jonah and this story and use it for your glory in our lives. Help us not to be like him, God, but help us to be like you, Lord Jesus. Help us to take on your nature and your image and uh, help us, oh God, Lord God, to to be a messenger of the kingdom like you were here on the streets uh, on this earth, Lord God. Help us to be sent like you want to send, Lord, and to do your will. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. Hey, we're going to have uh, an awesome service in just a few minutes. You've, you should go ahead and be excited because it's going to be great. Um, but if you haven't picked up your kids, you're going to have to need to do that, uh, and we'll see you in just a few minutes.